Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee football is a big favorite in Saturday's game against South Carolina at Neyland Stadium, at least according to the sportsbooks. Welcome in to this edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. Balls took care of UTSA last weekend in a game that was pretty enough on the scoreboard. Maybe it wasn't always that way on the field, but uh, now suddenly sports books have Tennessee favored by somewhere between 11 points all the way up to 13 points. You see some places. So guys, what do you think? Me all balls all the time against South Carolina. Nothing to see here. <laughs> it's kind of interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, we were talking about this at the the, the UT press corps before Josh Hobble's press conference today. We're all kind of asking each other the question, like, what what are we missing? I thought the line would probably be like six, maybe seven. Uh, the UT would be favored. You sort of usually give three points for the home team for home field advantage, and it's sort of a toss up after that. So we were all looking around, like, what what. What do the gamblers know that we don't? Because Vegas always knows. They always know. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good wake-up call for us that follow the team that are so close to the team. Sometimes you can be too close. And I think the same, same thing for the fan base. Um, because so much of what I get from Tennessee fans, not from all, for, but from a lot, is why is this season so bad? Why are these players so bad? Why is the offense not working? How come – they had a lull in the third quarter against UTSA, and um, how could they? How come they couldn't win in the swamp? They haven't won in the swamp in twenty years, but how come they couldn't win in the swamp? And all these questions. And I think sometimes we can get so close to watching a specific team that we don't realize there are flaws to other teams. And I know we'll go through it, but South Carolina's offensive line has some big questions. You think Tennessee's offensive line has questions? South Carolina does too. Um, you know, South Carolina has pretty big questions on their defense. Um, you know, so all the things that Tennessee fans complain about with their team, you know, South Carolina has right now statistically the worst pass defense in the SEC. Well, that's what Tennessee fans complain about their their defense. So we'll see it play out on the field. Um, but Vegas is saying Tennessee's a better team, and they're especially a better team at home. And, and I think this is I think this is kind of good for the fan base. Uh, for that line to come out. Don't know if it's going to be accurate or not, uh, but it certainly shocked me into maybe rethinking what Tennessee is because they're three and one. They haven't been terrible. That We're talking about lulls a lot this season, the lull in the third quarter at UTSA, the lull in the Austin P game. Well, to, ha- to have to have ebbs, you got to have flows. Uh, to have valleys, you got to have peaks. And they've had some peaks, I think, so far in this season, and people are still comparing it to last year, and you just can't do that. Yeah, if, if you're wondering what the, why the line is that high in Tennessee's favor, uh, check out that North Carolina-South Carolina game mm-hmm. in the season opener. I mean, they just when, – when the ball was snapped, South Carolina's offensive line just opened the gate and pointed to Spencer Rattler, and in came the pass rush. 
he was running for his life the whole day, uh, whole game and miraculously uh, completed 30 of 39 passes. But South Carolina isn't a good team. Tennessee hasn't played a good team yet, and it won't have played one after Saturday. So it could be four and one, and we still won't know what the uh, how good a team it really is. But South, as Adam pointed out, South Carolina has a myriad of flaws. Will Rogers, the most prolific, one of the most prolific passers in UT in SEC history, yardage-wise, had a career game throwing against the South Carolina secondary. Uh, 480 yards, 487 yards, I think it was, moved into third place all time in the SEC. But guys were running right wide open in, in South Carolina secondary. It looked like Tennessee last year against most of his opponents, just receivers flying down the field unguarded. So as Adam pointed out, yeah, there are plenty of flaws, not just to Tennessee, but throughout the SEC. Yeah, when it comes to South Carolina, I've made the point recently that, uh, you know, I mean, Spencer Rattler's been playing just phenomenally well. He he gave South Carolina a chance at least through one half against Georgia, and he's, he's really given them a chance in every game this season. Tennessee fans know what Spencer Rattler can do. He kept the balls out of the playoffs last year. But I wrote recently, it's sort of reminiscent of uh, Jay Cutler, the former Vanderbilt quarterback, being first team all SEC and SEC offensive player of the year in 2005, Vanderbilt that year had a losing season. They were five and six, and it was just the, the Jay Cutler show. He, he was great. First, first team all SEC quarterback and his team around him wasn't, wasn't much support. And that to me is kind of the way South Carolina is right now. They might have the best quarterback in the SEC, and yet their team, I think, is going to be left scratching and clawing to try to get to bowl eligibility. So, you know, taking some of the other matchups in this this game aside, just what do we think about the head-to-head quarterback situation? Because as good as Hidden and Hooker was throughout the course of last season, Spencer Rattler was the best quarterback on the field on that particular day in Columbia last year. Now he's going up against Joe Milton, Obviously, so much scrutiny on the quarterback scenario at Tennessee. There always is. So what, what, what do we think about that head-to-head matchup? Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think Joe Milton is going to be fine. He's going to be, you know, anywhere from a C-plus to a B-plus. Uh, that's mostly what he's been so far. I mean, you, you can't really point to games and say he's been awful in any of these games. He's been okay to pretty good at times. Uh, so I don't think there's that much of a mystery of how Joe Milton's going to be. I think the big mystery is how Tennessee is going to defend Spencer Rattler. Rattler could have a game where he throws for 400 yards and six touchdowns like he did last year against Tennessee. That could happen. We know that could happen because it's the same quarterback. Um, It's comparable receivers, not as good of receivers as last year, but comparable receivers, uh, same offense. And Tennessee has the same secondary Um, of the, of the uh, five guys that started in that game last year, four of them will be in the secondary in, in this game, probably for, for the starters. Um, 44 of the players that Tennessee had in that blowout loss to South Carolina last year, 44 of those players are on this, uh, are on this team now. Um, so it's, you, you have similar personnel matching up with each other, but 
Um, we've already mentioned South Carolina's offensive line. I think that's going to – the matchup between Tennessee's front seven uh, or really front six versus South Carolina's pass protection, I think that's going to be the key to whether or not Rattler um, really gets cooking in this game. Um, because last year's game, he had time, but then he, he got out of the pocket and made plays. He, he had some momentum going. Um, Tennessee could never get to him. If you look at the matchup this year, he's got a true freshman starting at left tackle. Um, they, they're last in the, in, the, in the SEC in rush offense because the offensive line can never quite get going with anything to support him. They've given up the most sacks of any team in the SEC. Now, here's a matchup. South Carolina's given up the most sacks in the SEC. Tennessee has made the most sacks in the SEC. And so, again, Tennessee fans don't necessarily think of this defense that way. This is the best right now, statistically, the best pass rushing team in the SEC against the team that can't protect its quarterback. And so Tennessee has to get the Rattler. They have to keep him in the pocket. When he gets out on the move, he's very dangerous. Um, they have to get him in third and long situations. That's been a problem for Tennessee all year, and it certainly was in that game last year. I'll be curious to see if they – if they use somebody to spy on Rattler, um, if that's anybody, it would probably be Aaron Beasley. You've got to have somebody that's athletic. It could maybe be uh, Tamarian McDonald, um, their, who plays their star position. But you want that guy in coverage. You want Beasley to be able to run free to the quarterback and not just sort of hovering around him. And so they've got to make some pretty big decisions in their scheme and how they're going to approach Rattler, but then also how they're going to make in-game adjustments uh, to defend him. And so much comes down to this first quarter of this game. We've talked all season about Tennessee having to get off on a really, really, really good hot start on the offensive side. I think it's more on the other side in this game. I think it matters more about what the defense does in the first quarter. Um, because if you can get the Rattler, you can put him in third and long situations, you can get a couple of sacks, you can pressure him, you can hurry him, and establish that the pass rushing team is going to be the one that wins this game. Then you get the crowd involved, and then you've got a loud kneeling and a Spencer Rattler that's that's rattled, no pun intended. And and the opposite could certainly be true, but I think that's make what makes this uh, first quarter so important. In terms of the quarterback matchup, uh, Spencer Rattler is the antithesis of Joe Milton. Milton just can't throw on the run. Uh, that's what uh, Rattler does so effectively. A lot of times on the dead run with the defender in hot pursuit, uh, his accuracy is remarkable given those circumstances. But Adam is certainly right about the mismatch at Tennessee's defensive front against South Carolina's offensive line. I'm actually surprised that Rattler's still playing. I thought, I didn't think he would get through the, watching the North Carolina game, the Tar Heels sacking him nine times, and I never think of North Carolina's having this uh, tremendous pass rush. So watching that, I really didn't think he'd make it through the uh, Georgia game. But here he is, and uh, South Carolina better have its backup quarterback ready Saturday night. When I look at this four-game stretch upcoming, guys, I, I see a a pivotal moment in Tennessee's season because I mean, you guys saw it last week uh, against UTSA. I had another assignment elsewhere but was, was following along from afar, read y'all's coverage. I mean, the, the scoreboard shows a blowout 
against UTSA, but I know there were some some concerns, maybe not a five alarm fire, but some concerns that sort of popped up along the way of that win. And this feels like a season that's kind of hanging in the balance, depending on what happens the next four weeks. I mean, this kicks off a stretch of South Carolina at home, then open date, then Texas A&M at home, road game against Alabama, road game against Kentucky. Those are not games I feel like you can pencil in wins. Those are not games where I feel like you can pencil in losses. They're, um, you know, some version of up in the air. So I'm curious what each of you thinks Tennessee's record will be during this four game stretch and whether you agree with me that, that this is the sort of the defining uh, period of, of Tennessee's season here. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obvious that one, that each game will tell us more about what to expect in the next one. Um, if South, if they lose the South Carolina game, my pick would certainly change quite a bit. If they win South Carolina, my pick would change quite a bit, but I know that I'm going to pick South Carolina. I know that I'm going to pick Tennessee to win a close one this week. And so taking that outcome and pushing it forward into Tennessee being four and one going into the bye week and getting that SEC win and winning at home and knowing that A&M is on the other side of that bye week when they should be healthier. And again, in my mind, they're coming off a win and going to be at home against A&M. I would have to count that one as a win. Um, If I count, Alabama as a loss, Kentucky as a win. Uh, Josh Hopple's teams have always played well, especially on offense against Kentucky. Um, then that means they're, they're three and one. Um, I think I could see two and two, uh, but I, I think I would pick Tennessee at three and one. And I suddenly do the math in my head uh, of what that means for the season. Well, they're three and one now. If I'm picking them to go three and one in the next four game stretch, I think three and one is plausible in the last stretch. Uh, they would have UConn, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, probably a loss to, to Georgia. But that means my nine and three pick at the beginning of the season would still hold. And I know we've talked about it on here before, but this team can be worse than last year and worse than what you think the record would be and still end up with a pretty good record. And so um, that w- certainly would happen if they would go three and one in, the, in these next four games. And I think that's very plausible. I like the way Adam's still clinging to his preseason prediction. (laughs) Uh, I discarded mine uh, watching that Tennessee-Florida game. Ten and two, I threw that right out the window. So I look at the next four games. uh, I I expect Tennessee to win against South Carolina Saturday. But I also think it could lose the next three uh, after that. Uh, I still – I guess I would go with two and two. But uh, A&M and Alabama back-to-back, I think, is going to be very difficult for Tennessee. I actually think Texas A&M matches up with Tennessee better than Alabama does. A&M's strengths uh, go after Tennessee's weaknesses, uh, secondary. uh, And Tennessee's offensive line, A&M, has a deep defensive front. So I guess I would stay – I would say two and two, but I wouldn't rule out one and three. I think so much of this season is similar to Josh Hopple's first season in 2021. It's hard to remember back then, but we judged games, whatever the outcome was, we would judge their season as a whole based on the outcome of that game. 
Um, you know, they, they got they got beat pretty bad by Florida earlier in the year, so we didn't quite know what Tennessee had. Then they blew out Missouri in, in what would have been this game, their, their uh, game. And then suddenly we thought, okay, this offense is going to be good. We learned more about them each week and sort of blanketed that opinion on the entire season. That was not the case last year. Whether they would win or lose a game, we would say they're just really good and they're going to put up points on everybody. I, I think that really points to where the confidence level of this team is that it's it's so tenuous. It can really – if they beat South Carolina, it's really going to go up. If they lose to South Carolina, you feel like it's going to drop. Um, and and I, I, I think that speaks to the trust of this team or lack thereof, the lack of confidence in this team for, for a team that should be pretty good. I, I think they're so much week to week. Yeah, and my confidence in Tennessee, I, I don't even know if I'd describe it as tenuous. I think it's it's shot four games into the season. Uh, John, I thought you might go one and three in the next four. You, you, you cooled off that one in the end. I'm, I'm going to do the same. Uh, I'm kind of tempted to go one and three in these next four, but I will take what I feel is the safer landing spot of two and two. I, I think they win on Saturday. South Carolina has a myriad of issues that Spencer Rattler is covering up. I don't think his supporting cast, his supporting cast wasn't great. Last year, I think his supporting cast is worse this year. And uh, as Adam mentioned, South Carolina's got the same defensive issues as Tennessee and and more. So I like Tennessee better than South Carolina. I uh, Like John, I do not like that matchup against Texas A&M at all. Um, that was a game that I had marked down as a loss for Tennessee coming into the season. Haven't seen anything that makes me think differently. And you know, we think, oh, well, Texas A&M lost at Miami. True. I think Miami is a better team than, than Florida and Miami granted, they haven't played much other than Texas A&M in terms of quality opponents, but they're just, they're tearing one team after another uh, asunder. I think, I think Miami might just be pretty good. And, and Texas A&M is, is loaded with weapons that I think is going to be a handful uh, for Tennessee. And, I don't think Tennessee wins on the road at Alabama, uh, but I guess I I can't shake the history of Tennessee and Kentucky, so I've got that one marked down as a win. Although if we're looking at the product the last few weeks, I don't know that I've seen a lot from Tennessee that tells me that they're better than Kentucky. I just think about the history when I think about that matchup, so that gets me to two and two. And, and I think the big asterisk on this uh, is health, and especially at quarterback. Um, you know, Joe Milton went down with a left knee injury in the UTSA game. Asked Josh Hopple about the, uh, at the press conference about it. Um, he indicated that Joe's fine; that he was back at practice. He expects him to to play. Now we've heard him, you know, say things about injuries before that you had to end up taking with a grain of salt. But I, I believe this one, and also Joe Milton returned to the game, played fine and said he was okay after that. I think he could be limited in how much he runs. He could maybe be limited a little bit as in his mobility, which could play into this game somewhat. But the asterisk on the, what we're saying about the records in the next month or overall comes down to his health because uh, his his injury, which appears to now be minor, uh, was ugly when it happened. It, it, it looked like he blew out his knee there for about five seconds till he popped up and sort of walked it off. Um, if he goes out of a game for a long period of time and Nico Iamaliava, the freshman, the five-star freshman, is then your your starter, 
that record changes, outcomes change. And I know a lot of Tennessee fans wanted Nico to get in the game earlier the other day. I think he probably would have um, if ten- Tennessee had scored right away to start the second half and made it like 38 nothing. I think Nico gets in the game. But uh, the back-to-back three and outs and uh, UTSA scoring twice, it was then 31-14 mid-third quarter. Well, then you got to keep your starters in because – you could you could give up that game if you suddenly go to the backup quarterback that quick. So they took snaps away from Nico, I think, just by uh, letting UTSA back in that game a little bit. But he hasn't had snaps. He's thrown like six passes all year. He's been in like less than a dozen snaps all season. He's only played in two games, and that was mop-up duty. So uh, and and people want to see Nico as if. You know, he's he's Dan Marino ready to go. You just have to take the bow off and, you know, open him up and he's ready to go. And that's not the case. He's he's not ready yet. Um, the talent is there, but the experience is not. The savvy is not. Um, I had people um, in my inbox ask me, you know, why don't they call good plays for Nico? Because he looked sort of herky-jerky and awkward and wasn't quick through his progressions and didn't look like he quite knew what to – what to do, you know, very quickly. Well, that's not the play calling. That's because he's a freshman quarterback that's been in like five minutes of of college football games. That that's why. That's what they see at practice. That he's he's got a lot of talent, but it takes a while to get into this. So if Joe Milton were to go down in a serious way, like could have been the other day, uh, then the picks have to change because it would take uh, Nico, I think, at least a couple of games to get into winning quarterback shape, so to speak. I have to call out Adam for violating podcast policy. Uh, even though he pronounced his surname, uh, Nico's surname very accurately, he's just Nico on these podcasts. <laughs> just Adam, Nico. Because okay? I don't want to have to deal with that. I tried. I tried. And, and, I, and by the way, I'm, I'm about 60% correct on how to pronounce the last name. But you I just say, say it, it real fast. That's, I say it confidently and fast, which yeah. means it's correct. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned uh, Joe Milton's health, Adam. Uh, Cooper May is ever going to play again? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like a, a never-ending situation. I thought Heupel's quote, which I, I read from your reporting, Adam, after Saturday's game was interesting. The quote was, we'll see. He didn't feel like he was ready for this one. Not we didn't feel like he was ready for this one. He didn't feel like he was ready for this one. Am I reading too much into that? Uh, Is this just a case of slip of the tongue semantics? Because to me, that was an interesting uh, way to phrase Cooper Mays continuing to not play. There's some semantics in there. Um, in the moment when he said that, um, I was reading into it what you were reading into it, which is well. Now, now, first off, let me say he we have to deduce that he's medically cleared to play because he has practiced, he has warmed up the last two games. Um, he snapped he snapped to the third string quarterback two games ago in warm ups. He snapped to the second string quarterback in warm ups this time. So, you know, in warm ups, pay attention to who he's snapping to. Um, so he was available if needed to play in this game. And we were told it was a coach's decision or game time decision. Um, so I, I read a little bit into it when he said it. Now, since then, I've heard more on background that it's it's more um, of a that they're being patient with him. Um, 
I, I haven't nailed down, uh, you know, the procedure to the point where I could report it, but I, but I knew, do know what the procedure is. And it's, and it's, it's not an instant, just I'm healed and I roll out there and I start playing. You have to go slowly. You have to take contact. You have to see how you, you handle contact. And, uh, and he's going through that. I, I don't think he had much contact in practice two weeks ago. I, I don't know if he had much of any this last week, maybe some, but I think they're trying to figure out how to make the transition from practice to game. And, uh, you know, what, what threw everybody off is that two games ago, Josh Hoppel sounded publicly like Cooper Mays was going to play, and then he didn't all. So I, I don't know if maybe Hoppel knew what he was saying there or there was some gamesmanship there to maybe, you know, make Florida think he was going to play. I don't know really how that would make that much difference. But um, I, I don't think it's a Cooper Mays just doesn't want to play. I don't think that's that's the case. Um, I, it is funny, though, I got a – message from a um from a Tennessee fan a couple days ago that was asking about Cooper Mays's red shirt um availability. Um, you know, that maybe he can just well just don't play any maybe he just won't play at all and that gets red shirt back. He actually has two years of eligibility left. And I think he would like to be in the NFL before two years down the road. Um, so that's that's not in play. I would say it's a pretty good chance that he will be, be available to play. Um, in this. Um, but we, we, I mean, to this point, we don't know. It's when he gets out on the field, that's when he'll, that's when we'll know until then. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And, and, and by the way, they have other injury issues too. Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton both left the game the other day. I think Brew was fine. Ramel probably fine, but I would think it's going to take some treatment for him to, to get back anywhere close to 100%. He was dealing with injuries anyway before the UTSA game. So I would think Brew is going to be fine. Ramel's a little more questionable to probable, I would think. Keenan Peely, the linebacker, is still not back, and I don't think he'll be back in this game. Uh, Jalen Wright looked woozy coming off the field the other day. Don't know if that's a concussion or just a bad – or just look like one. Um, so Dylan Sampson may get some more time, and he, and he quite frankly earned it as how he played the other day with 139 rushing yards. Uh, but they're beat up. They've got some, they've got other issues on the offensive line, other injuries, uh, and so they this bye week they really, really, really need. It just would feel a lot better in the bye week if they're coming off a win. If you've gone this far without Cooper Mays, I uh, I see no point in playing him against South Carolina, and that's because I think Tennessee can beat South Carolina without him. Uh, so then you have two weeks. He's got an open. He'll have an open date, so then you don't have to play him to when the schedule really thickens, and you got to go against Texas A and M. I would want Cooper Mays in that game to go against A uh, and M's defensive front. So just just keep him on the sideline again this week, and 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 hopefully he's fully healed and ready to go against the Aggies. And I do think it's sort of a quirky situation too, because I think even it. I was told even if he had played against UTSA, he was not going to start. So then you're thinking you're not you're not going to need him because the game's not going to be close. It's not going to be as needed. So then you would be putting him in just to get some reps because it's a blowout. So I think that this South Carolina game, if he were to play, it would be in a backup role. Um, I don't think this is going to be a blowout either way. So you would have to have problems on the offensive line that you would think only – a rusty Cooper Mays could come in and solve. 
So maybe that increases the chances that he just doesn't play unless you have an injury up there. Because I don't think it's going to be just a flip of the of the switch and you're suddenly just going to have Cooper Mays out there. I think they're going to go with Ollie Lane as long as they can. It, this matchup against South Carolina is pretty interesting because, as Adam mentioned earlier, some of the, the things that Tennessee's dealing with, offensive line, pass coverage, this type of stuff, South Carolina's dealing with a, as well. Um, and, and Maybe I I don't know. I, mean, I guess I don't mean to be pessimistic here. Maybe it comes across that way. But four games into the season, I'm wondering what you guys see is the biggest issue facing Tennessee going forward. Maybe maybe not necessarily like Saturday, like Spencer Rattler could be the biggest issue facing Tennessee on Saturday. But, um, you know, long term from what you've seen through four games, what's the biggest issue facing Tennessee? Is the passing game a, uh, a weapon or a weakness? I think, I think that's what it is to me. Um, passing game has been okay. Joe Milton has been okay. Um, but that in the past, the last two seasons under Josh Hopple, that has been a weapon. When you go to it, you say the opponent can't stop this. This is going to score. This is what we've been waiting to set up. Um, now when you go to the passing game, it seems like it's a drag on the offense. I mean, Tennessee's leading the SEC right now in rushing, um, but they're not using that as much to that. They set up plays. They're not hitting enough of them. And so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation because when deep balls get open the past two years, it's been like, Hey, look, they're, they're about to score a touchdown. Now when a deep ball gets open, I think the fan base more holds their breath. Like, man, I hope this, this, this works. And that's just a really different feeling. That's the difference between that's the question, at least, of whether the passing game is a weapon or a weakness. And that's not on all on Joe Milton. A percentage of that is on Joe Milton. A percentage of that is on receivers. There weren't as many drops uh, in the UTSA game the other day, but there were balls that hit hit the hands uh, of receivers that that should have been caught deep balls. Um, I remember one where a receiver sort of quit running. Um, and had he run through, he would have, he would have caught, caught a deep ball for a touchdown. Joe Milton missed a couple of obvious ones that would have gone probably for touchdowns. Um, there's one specifically I'm thinking of where I think um, a lot of the fan base would pointed, at least on, on Twitter, pointed to Joe Milton as, hey, he really missed that throw. It was the Caleb Webb deep route on the sideline. If you look back at the, at the film of it, there was a miscommunication in protection. He got bumped. Um, and so you can look at, you can look closely at plays like that and say the pass protection is missing, the communication is missing, the throws are missing, the catches are missing. And you put all that together and it just makes the passing game a big question mark and it shouldn't be. It should be what the opponents absolutely fear and that's that's not where they're at right now. Yeah, I think when you look at a Josh Heupel uh, offense, you you envision receivers running open, maybe two on the same play in the secondary. That's what we saw repeatedly last season. We're not seeing that this year. Part of that is Milton. Part of it might be the receivers. I thought they would be better than they are. Uh, but to me, the biggest issue uh, is secondary, pass defense. Tennessee doesn't have a mediocre secondary. It has a really bad secondary. It was bad last year. It's bad this year. Same guys, same results. It's an Achilles heel. And it's fortunate Tennessee is that it hasn't really faced 
a top-level passer. It'll face one Saturday, but uh, as we pointed out, Spencer Rattler's a one-man guy, and he has no help. So you won't, you'll have to get it later into the season uh, before Tennessee faces a, a passer, I think, that really can exploit its weaknesses. But it's just overall bad. It's not just uh, coverage. It's tackling, too. And eventually somebody's going to capitalize on that. A third-string quarterback did it to some degree in the UTSA game. Owen McCowan completed 10 straight passes against that secondary. That that tells you something right there. Yeah, it is an interesting debate, guys, uh, of whether it's the secondary or I think Adam makes fair points as, as well about that passing game, which was able to cover up last year for some of the defensive efficiencies, maybe it's not there. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg uh, type of debate, really. The the reality is those, those are two issues uh, facing Tennessee. As we said, South Carolina, uh, a flawed team of its own. This is a game Tennessee really, really needs, particularly with what lie ahead. Adam will have all the coverage over at knoxnews.com. You can also check out John's commentary throughout the week and on game day, and we will be back with you to discuss next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.